0: near, I wouldn't say near perfect synergy, but an extremely efficient synergy between both the public and private sectors as to mass adoption and the further refinement of this technology. How did you end up there?
1: Yes, you're right. Uh, Dubai is at the vanguard, I like that, of the Web3 community. Um, Well, I wanted a change. I was living in Miami. Prior to this um, and had all I had come to Dubai before I I had made a trip out here late last year in the fall and I just felt that it was a natural next step for me um, to expand my my own career and to just experience um, the UAE crypto community, which was it's it's growing a lot here. I think it's a pretty strong one and. Like you mentioned, uh, there's a lot of synergy between the public and the private sector because the government here of the UAE is very supportive of tech entrepreneurs in general um, and has attracted a lot of these uh, entrepreneurs and startup founders from tech and and blockchain to operate here. And so it also attracted a journalist as well.
0: (laughs) Right. And when it comes to journalism, what would be one of the most memorable, important events or stories you've ever covered in this space?
1: Huh. Um, I've covered a wide range of subjects. The first one that came to mind right now was uh, when the Pope, the Catholic Pope visited New York City. This was sure. 2016, I think it was. Okay. Uh, 2015. <laughs> Um, that was as close as I got ever seeing the Pope and I was able to cover that. So that was exciting. Right. Um, done. I've even done sports. I was there at the, at the Kentucky Derby, um, the year, this is 2016, I think the year that, uh, the triple crown was won, um, okay. after a long, ass t- a long, a long time and, um, right. what else? Let's see, in the crypto space, uh, just done so many events, to be honest, <laughs> within the US I know. and Europe. A lot to choose
0: from out of that.
1: Sorry, say that again.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine it'd be a lot to choose from, too. Basically.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I really liked last year, I went to Austin. Okay for uh consensus no right before consensus um oh. I
0: i'm not that i'm not entirely sure <laughs> <laughs> that's the one that came to mind when it comes to big web3 events and in austin uh, i got invited to it I, I couldn't uh i couldn't attend though but yeah that that's really the the one that came to mind so
1: no actually i didn't make it to consensus um okay. I'm ending on the name of the festival, but uh I was a moderator. Whenever wherever I'm a moderator, I think it's more fun because I get to like be on stage and, and talk to
0: Right. Well listen, uh, you know, as a can you hear me? Yes. I think I may have lost you. okay the so lag. as yeah, I think there was a slight lag there, which uh and that can be resolved later. So getting to speak as a panelists or as a moderator at a lot of these Web3 conferences, you know, it's, it, it represents a big opportunity, especially as to who's going to be an emerging voice in this yeah. space. I've gotten to do many of them, uh, both, both here in the U.S. and especially in Europe as well. And I always have at least one or a handful of very, very, you can almost say, uh, Uh, warm memories about kind of those experiences and, you know, the people you talk to. And, you know, you could almost say people who come up to you and, let's say, appreciate what you're saying. Because I think often when we kind of put ourselves out there, we may not necessarily realize how many eyes are on us. So I remember Mm -hmm. when I first started this, I'm like, yeah, nobody's really watching this. You know, that that was kind of like in the back of my head, but I just kept doing it. And then you realize like, oh, wow, there's actually significant amount of people watching this so for you what was you could either say one of your most memorable or important you could say panels you spoke on you know as you could say a keynote as a keynote speaker
1: sure so this was I guess both a professional and personal important moment for me uh last right. year at nft nyc in june of last okay. year moderated a panel where one of the panelists ended up being my boyfriend like is now my okay boyfriend. i met him that day very nice <laughs> um so i think that was definitely probably the most memorable panel but anyways that was for the sandbox um they okay yeah they uh took over this based in New York City for a few days during that week of NFT NYC. And this was my second time actually working with the Sandbox. I had done another, um, more of a fireside chat with a sure. who leads the Sandbox. Sure. Um, and then this time they had asked me to lead a conversation. It was mostly about uh, gaming, Gaming in the in the space and sure. general like metaverse topics and NFT topics, um, and just kind of you know this was still right like the market was still doing okay at this point.
0: Right. Um, yes, And NFT NYC last year. Yeah, the market was still okay. Yeah.
1: At least then. Um, it was after the terror crash, but it was, it was in June. But right. We're still looking up. So many events and parties, a lot of money being spent. So it didn't sure. seem like we were in a bear market. Um, right. So I think that was definitely one of the most uh, memorable weeks uh, for me. A lot of news came out, a lot of NFT. I w- at that time, I was covering um, a lot of NFT communities, so Doodles and, and Fluff World. Um, and this was right after South by Southwest. So that's, that's what I was referring to, that I went to in Austin. Um, and I did a really cool story there. This was when I was at Cointelegraph um, on how Fluff World and Doodles. They were the only two NFT communities in South by Southwest to have like physical spaces and activations and show the audience right. the public what NFT communities could look like. And so mm-hmm. I think that was a very memorable story for me. And then that led me to end up going to NFT NYC and and to participate in these panels. So another more memorable moments. This was all between like April, May, June of last year, 2022.
0: Sure. And maybe, and, you know, just to kind of put a finer point on my question, what I I guess what I meant by, you could say, memorable, important moments as a panelist, I I guess what I meant was, is that what topics Mm. uh, to you that you got to speak about on a public stage and these topics were of let's say some sort of major significant you you could say a historic or market importance like was there something that you spoke about last year that maybe had to do with let's say you know nfts and you know gamification or something like that or does it have something to do with let's say Uh, Bitcoin's volatility? Like, was there a topic that you really got to advocate or really unpack in front of a large audience that, you know, was of great significance and was very memorable to you?
1: Okay, okay. Um, Yes, so as a writer, when I was both at Cointelegraph and BlogWorks, markets was never my focus. So I always did try to focus more on, now it's kind of all, everyone refers to it as web three, but at this sure. time, we said it went through topics to separate from, like, crypto market. So that meant NFTs, gaming, and metaverse. Um, And so right. I think um, what struck me in speaking to some of these panelists was perhaps how, first off, like, what the metaverse was it was kind of a i mean it might still be but it was more of a buzz term sure. at the time and so the consensus of, of like of like what that was what is the metaverse what is an nft community what is a web three or right. NFT game so a lot of it had to do with like asking for definitions honestly um right and learning how people are creating in virtual environments are are creating a communities around art so digital arts i think was another topic that i was really interested in sure. um sotheby's and christie's big auction houses were getting into nfts so this was really exciting right. i think um taking things like art taking things like games, but being able to put, a, put them in the web free world and 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 expand their use cases. So I think that, as an as a journalist, was the most interesting thing: seeing how new, yeah, how new use cases were 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 being brought about by by founders and and, and by um, companies that were in projects that were trying to improve the world in their own way. Right.
0: <laughs> and speaking of NFTs and Gamification. And this is just to highlight this for the audience. So, Play to Earn is a Web3 phenomenon where essentially you, you have these decentralized apps in the form of games that exist in the metaverse. And as you play these games, you are earning some form of a decentralized cryptocurrency token or NFT. So, essentially, one could play video games and earn a living from. You know, from effectively gaming, leveling up, accomplishing missions and, you know, defeating bosses and and all of those things as well. And this is particularly, I guess you could say, potent. And this this subsector of the industry is growing in Southeast Asia and in Central Africa. Now, in the United States, in Europe and in certain parts of East Asia, not as prominent just yet. But it is significant of a, of a growing trend. And eventually, it, it seems like when I think either, you know, technology and efficiency becomes a, at least a bit more optimized, I think we're going to see more of it. But anyway, to my question is, when it comes to play to earn, where one essentially creates an avatar, creates a character, and they're gaming effectively in this giant open world sandbox kind of universe. And as they're feeding enemies, they're leveling up, they're earning tokens that could essentially be either kept in a wallet or sold even as, you know, for fiat currency. Play to earn. Do you see that becoming mainstream? Because right now there's pockets of it in different parts of the world. But do you see it becoming mainstream as to like a mass adoption kind of level, you know, where everybody's doing it? You know, it's kind of like, you know, Facebook and social media in the early 2000s. You know, everybody, didn't matter what corner of the world you were, you know, you were from, you were on Facebook. Do you think play to earn could be like that?
1: Sure. So this reminds me of something else that came up a lot last year in in my conversations. Um, Right. The the term, the terminology of play to earn was problematic. (laughs) Sure. Um, Because it meant that you were only playing a game to earn sure. crypto money tokens. Right. And so that kind of defeated the purpose. And then there was this whole movement of play and earn. It's like you're playing this game and guess what bonus. You also earn money. <laughs> so that was right. like a, a whole movement in and of itself. Now I don't even know what the consensus is. People use both terms, um, but yes. Your question was, "Do I see this taking off?" Yeah, because there's a lot of people building, and gamers are going to game no matter what the market conditions are, no matter what's going on in the world. People love games. Um, I used to be a big gamer myself when I was little. I was playing on consoles. Now I'm mostly just on my phone. Never got really which games,
0: by the way, console games.
1: Sure, sure. Um, so let's see. On GameCube, it was like Crazy Taxi, and then. Okay. On Wii, I liked liked a lot of the Mario games, like Paper Mario.
0: (laughs) Okay, right. And
1: I I at PlayStation, uh, I played Tomb Raider. Um, Oh, I remember,
0: yeah.
1: Rock Band. Yeah, Rock Band. Right. I had like a karaoke game. I was like all over the place. Um, (laughs) Xbox. uh, There was a game called Quantum Break, where you could kind of choose a depending on the actions of the characters, you could choose, like, the endings. They have multiple multiple endings uh, or trajectories. That's oh, really cool. very character. cool. Uh, <laughs> right. So, and now on my phone, I play, like, Monument Valley. I don't know if you know that one. I play Two Dots. So, I'm all in right. the place. Um, but, when it comes to Web3 games, I personally haven't found one that I'm, like, addicted to. Um, right. If anything, I've I have steered towards the move to earn movement. So sure. there's an okay. app called yeah. So you've probably heard of Step In. I tried that; didn't work for me, um, just because they had this sustainability issue.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Then, um, there's also Sweatcoin. Basically, you just walk and you earn right. tokens, you like coupons to stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so not hey, that that's exciting. The yeah, but no, I do see NFT-based games or Web3-based games taking off. But in order to do that, I think people need to focus less on the fact that it's NFTs, right? And it's like, these are just fun games. So right. the gameplay is the priority for developers. And I think to sell these games, they might even have to like get rid of the jargon, right? So it's... Sure. You're not necessarily, I don't know, any skin that you buy, it's not that it's an NFT. It's just a collective.
0: Right. Audience.
1: Gamers are already used to that. You don't need to put new terms to it. Um, but just right. include the tech there and make it, you know, it's the idea of ownership that, okay, as a player, you're buying a new skin for your avatar. You own it. You can use it in multiple universes, in multiple games. That's, right. that's the idea behind, behind NFT technology and, and behind blockchain technology. But gamers don't, like, need necessarily to use these terms or, or to, to adhere to, to all this jargon. Um, so right. what's going to make it take off and Web3-based gaming to take off is just, yes, I think this t- layer of tech needs to be in there, but we don't really right. need
0: to know. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a very good point. You know, if there's going to be mass adoption, the mass message has to be calibrated and, you know, fine-tuned. So jargon, you could say, uh, kind of the glossary terms that you see stamped on and, and surrounding this subject matter, you know, of course, that has to be communicated a, uh, a bit better, to say the very least. Yeah. And, you know, when, so going, um, going from that, Um, have you done any work or are you familiar with uh, MetaFi? you know, metaverse finance, and you could say big banks, big Wall Street institutions buying up space, like, you know, in the sandbox, in the central land and things like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think this has died down a little bit. Uh, Last year, there was definitely the hype of, big companies like banks that you mentioned getting into right. metaverse platforms and buying land. But I I think it had more to do with just the fact that they didn't want to get left behind and they felt that they had to do this. Right. Just because everybody else was doing it and they wanted to just get on the bandwagon and, and be in either the sandbox or in decentral sure. or whichever other platform to say that they were in it, right? And then figure it out. This is not right. happening anymore. Um, right, because there just aren't that many use cases to be in the metaverse for. so, so yes. Um, if they were buying, you know, I think HSBC bought like a lot of land in, in the sandbox, for example, but there aren't that many users. So until more use cases come about and more users are in these platforms, then maybe the hype will start up again. But as of now, it's, it's not the
0: case. Right. When it comes to trends, what do you think of meme coins? And, you know, I think from there you got, like, shit coins. But mean coins seem to be a very controversial, you could say, issue in this space. And, listen, rightfully, rightfully so. And I think, you know, right now there's a few obvious, you, you could say, uh, Abusers, or you could say uh, perpetrators of of that market. But you know, some people have also argued its value too. What are your thoughts on meme coins? Because you know, they are essentially very silly ideas. And and by the way, this is this isn't an argument one way or the other. But I guess if I was to posit this as objectively as possible, it's essentially a theme or a silly idea that essentially people buy coins of and dump liquidity into. You know, I guess you could say almost akin to, you know, Dogecoin, or at least the way it was perceived. And now you have so many iterations of that. But do you think those meme coins have a real place in this system? Or, or you could <laughs> even say true meaningful value, you know, in, in, in the broader scope of
1: yeah, honestly, it's just a way to make money. So I don't want to say it brings value, really, to right the monetary value. Yes, right. That's it. If you're, if you, I mean, let's see. Look at what happened with with the Pepe meme coin. Um, this was back in um, in May. It was meme season when. When Pepe the Frog decided to take off, then everyone was like, "Oh, I need to make my own meme coin now." Sure. The whole point of that is honestly just to to make money, like a quick buck. Right. Um,
0: right. And a quick a quick buck for who? You think?
1: For degens, for daily traders who are just on the market all day. Like it takes. I'm not like that. It, it takes time. You got to be on on the pulse, watching the market. So if, if right. you have time to do that, then you can you can make a lot of money. Um so day traders really. But right. I, I don't think that's the highlight of, of the blockchain community meme coins.
0: <laughs> right. Got it. You know, I, I've seen a fair amount of, you know, meme coins out there. And you know, whether this was, you know, almost two years ago or now. A lot of those projects really just looked looked like you know rug poles waiting to happen to be honest like i I always kind of took it as okay you have a you have a founding team and they're putting out something really eye catching something very very you could say trendy and it, yeah. like i said it's it's usually some sort of silly idea or some sort of you know meme worthy idea that's you know very relevant to the uh to the time, so whenever I've seen like a meme coin, I I just looked at it always as like one big just red flag because my thinking was, and like I said, this doesn't operate as financial advice. But if I was just to speak for myself, it's like, yeah, listen, I don't want to make a group of nameless founding team members rich by adding liquidity into their you know bullshit token, you know whatever it is. So you know I kind of like to observe and watch and and see what happens and. Frankly speaking, you know, that uh, seems to be the trend with uh, with a lot of these. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it always looked like. It looked like a minefield.
1: Yeah, well, in that case, it's only problematic right, to be honest if, if the founders are saying that this is anything other than what it is, right? So most meme coins are sure. meme coins because there's no other, nothing to back it up, right. really use case there's no utility there's nothing to do with it you're just buying it because okay maybe you like the picture you know the, the meme itself and, and right and you want to invest and maybe make some money and or or not you'll probably lose it but if founders are saying it's anything other than that then yeah it's an issue so that's why there were a lot of rug pulls and people i don't know people just like it seems to me that people just like to gamble their money away uh, right <laughs> That's true, that's too. I think because, <laughs> as a journalist, I'm always talking to so many um people in the space about their their projects and their companies, and everyone's like chilling themselves and sure. and boasting about you know themselves. I just tend to be skeptical, so I'm not one to just invest in everything everyone tells me, um right. But some people who want to, who have extra cash to play with, you know, all power to them, um, but they have to be okay with losing it. And yes, that's a, that's a big risk when it comes to investing in any market, but especially the crypto market.
0: Do you think one of the problems of this space is that, let's say to the average bystander on the street, there's aspects of the crypto market that look like just one big casino because I've heard that from people. And if I was to let's say, take me out of myself into somebody else's shoes, I'm like, I would say, yeah, it kind of does look like one big casino with the various tables and the different games you could play. Like, Hey, listen at this table, you got, uh, you got, you got meme coins and shit coins. At This table, you got Bitcoin. If you throw your money into it today, you might 10 it. If you don't, you might lose it all. Yeah. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of that? you think it looks like a casino to people who are not in the space?
1: Well, so is the stock market then.
0: Sure. Oh, <laughs> well, talk market. about that, please.
1: I think any market looks like a casino, to be honest. Um, it's all, They're all cyclical. They all go up and down. They're all based on human sentiment and emotion. Right. And the crypto market is no different. Um, it's just a little newer, maybe, than the traditional... Right um, financial markets and stock markets, but you know, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of shit coins out there. Um, right. <laughs> but there also are some tokens that might have more staying power than others. And I think right now during this bear market is when they're being tested. So we'll see who right. ends up staying in the market. Um, Bitcoin and Ethereum are the big ones. Uh, sure. I, believe in them a lot, especially in, in Ethereum, just because there's a lot of um, projects being built on it. And now Bitcoin with ordinals, I think that's, that's a really big step for the Bitcoin community. Um, so yes, yes, it is. It is a casino, um, but so our traditional stocks.
0: Right. And like I said, what I'm about to say does not constitute financial advice, but I will say this is at least my good faith opinion. So when I look at Bitcoin, for instance, I feel like there is a strong argument where if you're buying Bitcoin, in many ways, that could be like playing a game of blackjack against the house. So what do I mean by the house? So as in typical casinos, you know, nine out of 10 times you're going to lose against the house. Here in Bitcoin, my concern is is that so much of, you could say, the circulating supply is either controlled by whales, large institutions, and even countries. So you have essentially Bitcoin with its. By the way, it is limited. There aren't more Bitcoin tokens being made. However, it is kind of, you could almost say, under the control, or you could almost say, you know, really almost the, the supervision and management of a handful of very large, powerful entities. So one of my concerns has always been, is like, well, listen, if you're, let's say, the seven to eight parties that would, let's say, control the circulating supply of Bitcoin. Well, it's like, hypothetically, what would, this, what would stop them to have a little tea party of sorts and, and say, hey, listen, Let's sell a good chunk of this Bitcoin today so we can have the prices drop substantially. And then let's just go back and, and buy it all back and make, a huge, and make a huge profit from it. So, you know, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that it seems like for Bitcoin, on one hand, you have something that, listen, it is a digital coin, you could say a store of value, you know, in and in, in of itself. And on the other hand, you have something that that's almost like a a tool for you could say syndicate or cartel creation, where you have essentially a small group of parties pulling the levers, in, you know, on you know, on on one market, so to say. So, I think uh, I think Bitcoin has a bit of a, to an extent, you could almost say an existential issue there, as far as. What it is or how it is.
1: Yeah. Well, the saying is the house always wins, right? Right. So I think that could be the case if all of these uh, TradFi institutional giants get in. Right. That is a risk, right? Because then that's going to, they're going to knock out the existing crypto giants, which are. The exchanges basically, like Coinbase and Binance. so if BlackRock gets in, yeah, sure. they're gonna have big sway over market moves. Right. Um, I guess that's 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 a risk, but then it also makes us question. Okay, then can anything truly be decentralized if there have to be some central force or the or some key players always controlling things? Um, that was the whole ethos behind Bitcoin decentralization, and I think that's what the blockchain community strives for uh eliminating intermediaries and ownership um but it's it's proven difficult because there's a lot of bad actors in the space like d sure. x for example um that really i think made a lot of people lose lose confidence and and, and Lose um, faith in in the technology, so it's right. it's hard. I think to get to that point of decentralization, but through trial and error, we're getting there.
0: <laughs> right, and you know, listen to to kind of add another layer to that layer cake. So, for instance, at one point the people's republic of china owned about anywhere from 60 to 67% of the mined bitcoin until they essentially completely abolished you could say cryptocurrencies within the country and then you know and then as to recent news or more recent news russia has been using the cryptocurrency markets to get around sanctions bitcoin in particular you know with a few others so i do kind of wonder you know at times let's say if i'm somebody who's looking to invest in cryptocurrency, and let's say it's Bitcoin. Am I investing in my own kind of, am I investing against my own, let's say, self-interest in the long term? If let's say I'm buying Bitcoin, but then again, I'm simultaneously like enriching, you could say the likes of the Russian Federation or the People's you know, Republic of China, for instance. Well, by the way, by the way, I think about these rabbit hole questions you know all the time, so listen it uh, doesn't doesn't demand an immediate answer, but that I guess to say that was one of my uh, i guess you could say one of my questions because I'm not necessarily like losing sleep if Blackrock or Wisdom Tree decides to you know grab a stake in it, so to say. I mean, listen, I think we're all very well aware of Wall Street's malfeasance and whatnot but those are not necessarily the actors that like i am like per se you know concerned about i do kind of wonder if let's say i'm buying bitcoin hypothetically and then let's say at the same at the same time because i'm buying bitcoin and let's say because two countries like the prc and the russian federation own a huge chunk of it am i am i essentially adding liquidity to you could say geopolitical events that could somehow harm me in the future, I guess. Mm,
1: Yeah, no, I I see what you're saying. And it's tough because I don't want to say like a hard yes or no. Maybe indirectly, indirectly, it has any action has secondary effects and consequences. but. As I was hearing you, honestly, what I was thinking about was more positive use cases. So like you mentioned Russia trying to um, use crypto to evade sanctions. Yeah, a lot of uh, countries in Latin America, Venezuela, for example, has done that too. And it's it's really just to serve the government. I don't think it's necessarily helping the people. You're right. But in countries like Venezuela where inflation is really high, Argentina, the same. Um, oh, yeah, of course. People, the people there have to turn to alternative. Uh, sure. Yes. Right. right? So,
0: Especially where there's lack of access to banking systems. Exactly. Listen, that's, exactly. Much of, that's much of the world still right. as we speak.
1: Right. And so the main use case there happens to be remittances. So it's a way right. to send money um, to people in a different currency. And... In countries like that, like in Latin America or even, I don't know, Russia during the war, it was a great way to send people money, uh, to send a a cryptocurrency. So it's like, yes, it's it's fueling bad governments in a way. Sure. Um, Not going to deny that. But people always find their way around things. Sure, and there's good and bad, bad cases, uh, use cases for everything, good and bad actors
0: right.
1: in the industry, um, and I think we're just discovering what those are along the way.
0: <laughs> right. I, I mean, listen, this this industry in many ways is like a, like an infant. It's like it's like a newborn. So we are seeing essentially how is this child going to learn how to walk, or how is this child progressing as he or she's learning how to walk. How is this child uh progressing as to their first their first words? Right. So as a father, in many ways, I kind of look at a lot of the industry as kind of like okay there's it's kind of like a newborn You're, you you kind of you, you see the potential, but the real metric is, you know, what are the first words? what are the first steps? you could yeah. say what are you know what are the first drawings you know or you know what was it like when this child started writing their name or, you know, writing their first letters and things like that? So in many ways, we are seeing kind of, you could say, the development of, you could say, the, the motor skills of a human being. Yeah. In many ways. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah that, that's in many ways kind of, you know, what it's like. And there's going to be, you know, listen, there's going to be good and bad along the way. It's like, yeah, you teach. Listen, you could teach your child how to potty train. And let, listen, they have accidents sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's life, you know. So, like, you know, I think there's a lot of good to kind of uh, extract from what you're saying. One of the main issues that faces the world, and by the way, even in the United States, is that large populations do not have access to banking systems. So even if you were to look at a map of the United States, the banking systems, generally speaking, are centered around major metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. So, if you were to kind of like look at a map of the United States, kind of like those space maps where you you, uh, you you see the various countries and you see essentially the giant, you could say uh, you you could say columns of light, which I guess represent you know populations, GDP, energy, and things like that, and they're all kind of centered around major cities. In the United States, it's very similar when it comes to banking. So if you look at the banking sectors, or at least access the banking sectors, you're going to see a lot of, you could say, the bright lights surrounded by New York City, Miami, Los Angeles. And you could say the various metropolitan centers in the Midwest and in the South. But when you kind of get more inland in the United States, outside of those metropolitan centers, the, the access to the banking systems are not either easy, efficient, or convenient. And then if you were to take that and look at other parts of the world, if you look at parts of Latin America, if you look at parts of Europe, uh, if you look at even part, if you look at parts of Asia, there is a similar pattern there as well. And I remember from 2020 and 2021 when you could almost say the, the Bitcoin markets probably had some of the most bullish activity as far Mm -hmm. as value. And you can almost say it's overall good PR is that people were able to participate in an economy where otherwise I think they were left out of, you know, sending money to your family, you know, being able to essentially have access to a wallet money. And listen, even an exchange that operates as a bank, and you can essentially navigate comfortably throughout society in spite of, let's say, not having either convenient transportation access or convenience to like a, a banking system. Like, I, for instance, I think of uh, El Salvador a year and a yeah. half ago, for instance. You know, that was, you know, you can you can say in many ways uh, that was an example of a country that I think demonstrated some genuine successes. With a with a with a cryptocurrency. And of course, you know, you know, that that kind of uh, that that I think that situation, or at least with El Salvador, ended up facing some other issues with it. But listen, you know, I think you can't hurt people for trying. <laughs> and, and I do think that it did demonstrate some real successes as far as mm-hmm. involving people into the in, into the economy, into commerce, which otherwise, you know, uh, they wouldn't be. He wouldn't be able to have access to because, listen, it is good to it is good to have cash. Don't get me wrong. But in an ever growing digitized world, if you do only have cash and if you're otherwise locked out of everything else, you're going to be left out, eventually, yeah. which is which is going to be a bad thing. It's only going to increase mortality. Uh, it's only going to increase, you know, lack of, you know, lack of access to clean water, food, you know, you no. Know. It, it's just going to exacerbate, you know, current problems. But, you know, I wanted to move off of that and talk about another event, FTX. Do you think FTX is permanently damaged? Yes.
1: Can I comment on what you were saying before? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. Well, well, first, I love the analogy of sure. an infant. Um, sure. The- a community being an infant. That's so true. And I think that's what actually makes this time right now, the present moment, so exciting. Because we kind of get yeah. to see like our in a way grow um, along right. with the market. <laughs> um, right. And then when it comes to El Salvador, yeah, I think that was such a historic moment when the president decided to make Bitcoin legal tender as a way right. to help the unbanked. Um, and it has its ups and downs. And I think that has partly to do with um, market conditions, but also because it's not super easy yet to buy daily goods using crypto right. and Bitcoin. That still right. hasn't been perfected, um, like how we have how we use Apple Pay and just facilitating merchants able right. to accept crypto. Right. That's that's the issue right now that I think is needs to be addressed um, first and foremost. Um, and then, yeah, I think those were that's what I wanted to say. What we what we were saying before.
0: <laughs> yeah, listen, be, they're good indicators of uh, positive, positive momentum and positive movement forward. You know, yeah. so I, I hope I, I would hope to see more. You could say positive instances of, of things like that. Uh, but yeah, like I said, moving on to FTX, uh, what do you mm-hmm. think of that? What do you think of that catastrophe? And do you think it has permanently damaged Web3 crypto industry as a whole?
1: Yeah, it was, it was a catastrophe, as you said. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget that day because <laughs> I was actually on a plane when the news oh, okay. of the um, insolvency uh, reports. And that was probably the worst moment ever for a journalist to be on a plane. <laughs>
0: Sure, I can like, imagine Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're stuck.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was mid
0: November.
1: Right. Uh but anyways, so that was that was catastrophic personally as well. But um right. yes. How how will we recover? will we recover? Is that what you're wondering or
0: Yeah, do you think uh FTX per- permanently stained the industry or not? What do you think?
1: Um I think it stained it from like 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 from the outsider view, like the optics, right? Like, oh, that's right. it. I'm, this was all just a scam. Everyone's a scam. I don't need to get into this. But for right. people actually like living, breathing blockchain and, and, and crypto and Web3, yes, it was obviously a huge setback. Yes. But right. it doesn't seem to have made a lot of people close shop. It's like no if anything it, it made people more determined to like no i have a product that's worthwhile that i want to keep building right. uh that i want to prove has 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 utility um so mm, it was bad it was bad also because of the things that a lot of like there was so much promotions of celebrity promotion behind it and i think yeah. that's that's also what made it worse just because right all these people were Chilling it, and and everything was inflated. All the numbers, all the accounting, everything was just a sham. But there is a right. uh, some good news that came out. Uh, I think within the last 24 hours, um, a new report by the the FTX debtors that seven billion out of the 8.7 billion dollars has been recovered. Wonderful. So I don't know if this is going to go back to all those people that lost, that lost money, right? Because that's right. Who up getting hurt here? All those people who right. And it's going to investment. be a long
0: legal process before that yeah. is even remitted. And it yeah. could be years. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I don't really know
1: if they're going to see any money. And if anything, it might be pennies. That's how it usually goes with these types of cases. Um, so we'll see what happens. But yes, it was a setback. Yes, it was bad. But I eliminated those bad actors. And I think it just made the people who stayed more determined to come out strong.
0: Right, and I think, that, I think that is very good. I think if you are doing something worthwhile in this space, it's easy to get discouraged, I think, in, especially in light of catastrophes like FTX, because it's not going to be the good projects that are going to be, you know, sucking all the air out of the room. It's going to be the bad events that are going to mm-hmm. suck the air out of the room, and that's what people are going to walk away, you know, in their, in their minds with. Last year, I actually got into a uh, relatively public beef with Kevin O'Leary. And as you know, he was one of the major celebrity uh, spokesmen as to FTX. So, you know, with the level of, you could say, self-dealing and conflicts of interest with FTX, you know, I certainly think and feel and still do uh, that somebody like Kevin O'Leary had a duty to not You could almost say defraud people, you know, based on you could say maybe his expertise as a businessman and as a TV celebrity. But looking at this also as a whole, I don't think any of these uninformed celebrities really have any business speaking on something as you could almost say as nuanced and as novel as, you know, blockchain cryptocurrencies. Now, listen, not like my statement alone is going to stop that if there is enough interest in capital. Behind it, I mean, you can get a uh, you can get a ham sandwich to be the spokesperson, you know, of 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 things like this. But I do think that at least represented at the time a very, I guess you could say, what could have been a permanent disturbing trend, where essentially you get a listers to hawk a certain NFT or a certain coin. I mean, hell, Kim Kardashian even got in trouble for this stuff too. And then you have essentially all these people. You could say bystanders getting defrauded now listen, you know we all can make our choice as far as whether to buy something or not buy something, but I think the issue goes goes to, does this public figure how much influence do they have over x amount of people and and that's really what it what it comes down to, so you know I, I think that could be a whole episode in rabbit hole you know I was say, itself to. <laughs> What?
1: No, no. I was I was gonna say just that, but that's a whole separate topic. It's it's uh...
0: sure, sure, absolutely. I think we make it make for an excellent uh, follow up episode. But listen, Ornella, thank you very much for coming on today, and you know providing your feedback as a reporter in the space as to as to current events, and of course uh, entertaining my my rabbit hole, abstract and maybe not so abstract, you know, questions on these on these things.
1: No, thanks for having me on. I had a good time. And yeah, we hit a lot, of, a lot of good points.
0: Absolutely. So have an excellent week. Enjoy the rest of your day. Talk to you soon. And perhaps we can have that follow-up episode on, uh, on, you know, the FTX and other similar things as to how celebrities are either harming the space or maybe even positively influencing the space, you know, yeah. both sides of the argument there.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll leave you with with some homework. Actually, do you know? Did you ever watch The OC?
0: No, but I remember that being very popular in the early two thousands. The OC, okay. right?
1: So yeah, yeah so the actor behind Ryan, one of the protagonists, his name is Ben McKenzie. He's a celebrity, but he's actually a huge advocate of making sure people don't listen to celebrities, especially when it comes to shilling crypto. He has a whole
0: book I think on we spoke it. Spoken from um, Congress a few months ago, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. So right.
0: Yeah, I know who that actor is, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I met him at South by Southwest last year, another memorable moment for me because I was a huge fan of his and the show. But now sure. that he's he's it's funny because he's a celebrity telling people not to listen to celebrities, basically. So right. maybe read some of his stuff or read his book because he has some some good points.
0: <laughs> I mean, hell, I I'll even invite him onto the show if that's feasible. <laughs> yeah. so that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, awesome. You well, that's definitely food for thought in. I'm going to read up a a bit more on that later tonight. Thank you, Renella. (laughs) We'll do.
1: All right. Enjoy your day. Thanks again, Adam.
0: You too. Thank you and take care.